I'd already listened to the talk last week, and I honestly thought, I'm not sure whether I should bring what I'd prepared. Um, but then God reminded me of a scripture in Corinthians that says, uh, a matter becomes clear after two or three witnesses give evidence. So I'm the second witness, and I'm giving evidence of what was started last week and what I want to continue this morning. So if you have a Bible, you have an app, and if you don't have either, it's going to come up on the screen. I'd like you to turn to Zechariah. Now there's a book. You find the New Testament, find Matthew, and then go back a little bit and you'll find it. Anyone old enough to remember draw swords, Bible drill? You remember that? (laughs) You were little. As someone would, you know, it's kind of a bit of an ego trip. It was kind of showing your expertise around the Bible. Someone would announce a Bible book and a chapter and a verse, and they would say, draw swords. And then the first person to find it would stand up and read out the scripture. Um, It was kind of a strange thing. You know, it's like when you're in a meeting and you sat next to a total stranger and someone announced a book like Zechariah, and you think, where on earth is Zechariah? Where is that book? And so what I do is just kind of appear to be theological, theologically knowledgeable and just sit there with your Bible closed thinking, I know this anyway. So <laughs> what's the point when really inside I think I have no idea. I'm too proud to look at the index, which someone has kindly put at the beginning of the Bible, giving you page numbers, but I'm too proud to do that. Or if I'm sitting next to someone and I'm looking to find this text and they find it first, I am so relieved when I found it, mine's underlined. Uh, Zechariah okay I've given you some time let's go to chapter 4 and I'm going to read verses 6 to 10 (coughs) and I'm reading from an NASB translation then he answered and said to me this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel what a lovely name good name your kids Zerubbabel to Zerubbabel saying not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain, and he will bring forth the top stone, the capstone, the finishing stone, with shouts of grace, grace to it. Say it with me. Grace, grace. Now, to it. Thank you. Yeah, we'll put that on the end as well. Now, the Bible says, shout. So, could we just lift the volume a little bit? Shouts of grace, grace to it. Wonderful. Right, verse 8. Also, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and his hands will finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent you. For who has despised the day of small things? Now, it's clear that this is Old Testament text. These are historic words. And these are words that were spoken to God's ancient people about two and a half thousand years ago. And because it's Old Testament, we run the risk of maybe thinking this is not relevant to where we're at. But God's word is timeless. It's eternal. And so these prophetic words spoken two and a half thousand years ago can resonate with where we're at today. They can speak to you and me in the 21st century. Let me give a bit of a background to this, these words. The man of God, Zerubbabel, 
was part of a leadership that brought 50,000 second generation POWs. Second generation POWs, prisoners of war, who traveled some, let's get the, uh, the right, 700,000, 700, sorry, not thousand, 700 miles from Babylon to Jerusalem. Ex-prisoners of war, second generation. Most of them had not lived in, in Jerusalem and in the surrounding areas, but they were being led back to Jerusalem And their priority once being back to the city was, we're going to rebuild the temple that Nebuchadnezzar years before had destroyed and robbed. But when these words come, the reconstruction had been delayed. People were becoming discouraged. And in actual fact, they were facing some regional resistance to their building program. And so in an atmosphere of delay and discouragement and resistance, the word of the Lord came. What are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain. And he will bring forth the top stone, the capstone, with shouts of grace, grace to it. This morning, I want to speak about the power of a Holy Spirit shout. The power of a Holy Spirit shout. And then you see why I kind of, well, Lord, that's been mentioned before. But this has been something that's been growing with me over the last number of years. And so before I get to the words of uh, Zechariah in chapter 4, I'd like to lay a biblical foundation. And I want to talk about, first of all, a spiritual shout. A spiritual shout. Now, the word spiritual is used throughout the New Testament. It's the Greek word um, pneumatikos. We have spiritual gifts. Paul said to the Corinthians, I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers. Basically, he was saying you are. I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, about spiritual gifts. Now, we've added gifts to have an emphasis of what he's talking about. But the text really reads, I don't want you to be ignorant about spirituals. So you have spiritual gifts. You have spiritual songs. Corinthians talks about spiritual words, spiritual thoughts. In in the New Testament, it talks about spiritual sacrifices. So we have spiritual. Now, when I talk about a shout, I'm not just talking volume. I believe you can shout without being heard. You can shout deep from within. So it's not an issue of volume. It's not a, it certainly isn't an issue of noise. It's a spiritual shout. So the best way I can describe what this word spiritual means, hallelujah, it is an interaction of the Holy Spirit with your spirit to do the right thing at the right time in the right way. That's what spiritual is. It's an interaction of God's beautiful person, the Holy Spirit, interacting with my spirit to do the right thing at the right time and in the right way. So I'm talking about not just a volume issue. It's not just a noise issue. It's a spiritual shout. And I believe God's restoring it back to the church. I believe we're in an age when the shout is going to be heard nationally. 
It's going to be heard locally. It's going to be heard regionally. It's going to be heard even deep within our own spirit. A spiritual shout. I believe that God is restoring that. It's been a growing sense of emphasis within me that God is wanting to do something to transition us from a season of self-imposed silence to a season of shouting. It's a bit like the children of Israel. And again, that's already been mentioned this morning. I love it. God, you do a great work. The children of Israel marching around the walls of Jericho in absolute silence. Now, for some, that would be so hard. Don't say a word in absolute silence. And then on the seventh day, after the seven times around, they're called to shout. But I want you to understand, this is going backwards into battle. When they were told to shout, they were to shout the Hebrew teruah. It's the teruah. And the kind of shout they were to give was the shout that you gave when the battle is won. It's the end time shout. It's when that victory has been accomplished, you see what God has done in and through you, that you shout. But when they shouted, not a brick, a stone had moved. That's why Hebrews says they shouted in faith. It's like prophetic, the the preface, pro, it goes before. They're shouting before any change, before anything visual. And it's almost like they're going backwards into battle. And it's the shout, the shout, the teruah. It's a victory shout. It's a shout of faith that brings the breakthrough. It's the shout of faith that brings the breakthrough. It's a shout of praise that declares the goodness of God. It says the sons of God shouted for joy when they saw what God had done. You know, I do believe some of us have forgotten how to party. We've been so long in Christendom, we forgot how to have fun. You know, we were, we were party animals before we became Christians. We just loved it. And yet when every time someone is transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, it says that heaven rejoices. Heaven rejoices. That is an excitement that one has been taken from darkness, death into the life of God. They've transferred. And when the angels, sons of God, saw the creative work of God, it says they shouted for joy. Shouted with praise. It's the shout of joy that shakes the earth. When they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the camp, and you can read this in, in the book of Samuel, and it says the whole nation shouted, and their shout was as such that the ground shook. Shook. It's a shout of faith. It's a shout of praise. It's a shout of joy. It's therefore this vocalized faith. This verbal boldness, this celebratory praise, this overflowing joy that God is restoring to his church. Now, before I come back to the text, I want to give balance. There is such a thing as a holy roar. Yes? Yes, Chris. (laughs) But there is also such a thing as a holy hush. It's called spiritual, or I'm calling it spiritual silence. 
The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. There is such a silence that's born out of fear. There is a silence that's born out of intimidation. There is also demonic activity that can cause silence. There is silence that can be created by wrong thinking. Now, your personal preference might be quiet. Your personal preference might be volume. Turn it up. Oh, it's not loud enough. Turn it up. Turn it up. You might, that's your personal preference. That's your personality type. I'm not talking about that. It's not about your personal preference. I'm talking about the prompting of God's spirit with our spirit to do the right thing at the right time in the right way. And that might be a spiritual shout. But it also might be the spirit of God pressing your pause button. As the American go, it's it's time out. Time out. We need to be still and know that I am God. I have been fascinated reading some material over the last couple of years about the monastic life. The monastic lifestyle. Now, I'm not joining a monastery, so don't worry. Some of it, I like, whoa, that's strange. But there are seasons when God calls us to take time out. And just say, I'd like you to be still. Now, charismatics have trouble with this. I'd like you to be still. Because there is a knowledge and revelation that's going to come to you in the stillness. It's the whispers of God. It's God saying, quiet, quiet, ah, quiet. I'd like you to be quiet. It's like when your kids, you're trying to say something to them, they won't let you get a word in edgeways. Well, you don't have children like that, but we did. You know, they're just going. It's like the Bible, it says God quietens us with his love. It's like a child complaining and you just throw your arms around him and say, I love you. I love you. And they can't, they can't, their complaints are silenced. And it's that embrace of God's love and say, now what you're going through, I love you. I love you. Yes, but God, it's this, this, these are my complaints. And God is not phased by our shouting. You read the Psalms. You just find that David is way out there. He's just telling God how it is. God knows anyway. And sometimes we just need to feel that embrace of the Father's arms around us that we might experience times of solitude, times of stillness, times of silence, what is termed the sabbatical rest. We need to understand the whole concept of the sabbatical rest. Be still and know a revelation. Psalms 23 says, He makes me lie down. Oh, oh. You know, sometimes you find that you're going through a time and you can't do what you really want to do. And you're blaming the devil when all the time it's God. He's kind of, I want to make you be still for a moment. But God, I've got so much to do. He makes me lie down beside still waters. Times are refreshing, says Acts. From the presence of the Lord. Amidst amidst our hectic lifestyle, we sometimes have to learn how to press the pause button. And in this day and generation, I listen to some of the schedules people have and it impacted upon them. I think, oh God, help us to learn how to press the pause button. To hear again the whispers of God. It's in these moments of spiritual silence that we meditate on God's word. Reflect on his goodness. 
hear God and experience the refreshing and the revelation of our Heavenly Father. Let's get to the text. Zechariah 4, 7. Zechariah 4, 7. What are you, O great mountain? What are you, O great mountain? That is the belief that the mountain he is referring to is the heap of stones from the destroyed temple. And some of the newly quarried stones, they've all been stacked up. It looks an absolute impossibility. And he's saying, what are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become plain. And he will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. That pile of stones could so easily represent the mountains that many of us face. Sometimes it's shattered dreams, personal delays, discouragement, resistance and opposition to the revealed will of God. They were seeking to build the temple in line with God's will. The regional people were resisting them. They had come to a place of delay, a place of discouragement, and God was speaking to them. Sometimes in our life, we set out to build a business. We set out to build a family. We set out to build a marriage. We set out to build a church, to build a career with God at the center of it. But sometimes, no matter how much we try, it's like the odds are stacked up against us. It's like there's a mountain and we feel so discouraged. Lord, I am doing this and I believe you are central to the purpose of why I'm doing this. Why I'm seeking to build a family, build a church, build, build a career, build a business. And it's like there's resistance to what we believe God's will is. It's at those moments that we need to shout, grace. Grace, grace, grace to it. Sometimes we face difficulties when we're seeking to host God's presence in all that we say and do. But you experience resistance. It's those times that we need to say, grace, grace. Sometimes we face a mounting of delay and disappointment and discouragement. And as Rob said this morning, we need to speak to the mountain, and shout, grace, grace. What are you, great mountain? What are you, great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain, and he will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. This is not a formula. This is a shout of faith. And I love the double emphasis on the word grace. This is a double-barreled emphasis on the word grace. It's not grace in the singular. It's grace in the plural. And I believe that what is being said here is that God wants me to live in the grace in the plural. He wants me to live in grace that is is double-barreled. What do I mean? Well, we understand the grace of God that is called saving grace. Saving grace. Ephesians 2, 8 says... For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. It's this dimension of grace whereby we are redeemed, born again, taken from 
death into life, transferred in the kingdom. It's that scandalous grace, undeserved, unmerited, unconditional favor of God shown to us, those who believe no matter what we say and do. That is scandalous. Scandalous grace. But that is not only saving grace, that is what I would like to call streaming grace. Streaming grace. John 1.16 For of His fullness, this is Jesus, we have all received grace upon grace. We have all received grace upon grace of His fullness. Now this word fullness, I take a bottle of water and I fill it to the top and I say that's full. But that's not what fullness means. The word fullness there is is continually under a tap and it's being filled and filled and it's overflowing. That's the fullness that is spoken here. It's an overflowing fullness. So of his fullness we have received. It is that grace, that continual flowing of grace. The grace that is the ability to do what we cannot do of ourselves. It's the very essence of Jesus streaming into us and overflowing through us. It's grace for the miraculous. Acts chapter 6 verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs amongst the people. Full of grace. He was overflowing grace. And miracles were happening. I said, God, that's the grace I want. Thank you for saving grace, but I want streams of grace flowing in me and through me. And everything I say has grace of God written on it. Everything I do has the grace of God, the favor of God written upon it. In Acts chapter 11, it talks about the the grace to change cities. You know, the apostles at Jerusalem. They hear some great things going on, in, going on in Antioch that is outside their frame of reference. So they send, is it Barnabas down to, to Antioch to see what God is doing? What's God up to? He's going outside of what we believe he should be doing. Let's check this out. And it says in Acts eleven twenty three. Then when he had come and witnessed the grace of God, he was so miserable. No, it said he rejoiced. He rejoiced. You know, it says, I think it's it's in Luke, I think it's 11, where it says Jesus rejoiced greatly. And I don't know how you thought Jesus, or think Jesus rejoiced, whether you think, oh, that's good. It literally means that he leapt up and down and rejoiced. He got thoroughly excited. He parted at that moment of time because he said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to these babes, unintelligent people. He's talking about the disciples in that Luke text. And he's saying, you have revealed this to them, Lord. They've got it. And it's like God says, at last. I've got a company of people who get it. You know, sometimes it's tough when you're leading a local church and you're preaching for years on a subject, and a visiting preacher comes, and everyone it preaches the same thing that's been going on for the last two years, and the congregation says, it wasn't that great. We really needed to hear that. That was the word of God. And the leadership go, oh, dear me. But God is rejoicing at last. We got it. 
We've got the revelation. And so it says, then, then when he, that is Barnabas, had come and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced. Why? It was changing a city. It was changing the sociological and spiritual environment of a city. So, let me bring this into land. Faced with a mountain of opposition, delay or disappointment, the word of God came to Zerubbabel, saying to him, not by might, not by human strength or calculation, not by power, power of energy and capability, but by my spirit. But by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. God, let that get into my thick brain. It's not by my human strength. It's not, oh, I can calculate this, have some system or some understanding. It's not by my power, my energy, my capability, but it's by your spirit, says the Lord. So the mountain of delay, of disappointment, resistance that you and I might be facing this morning. I want God's spirit to interact with our spirit in such a way that we shout grace, grace to it. It's not an issue of volume. It's not an issue of noise. It's a shout of faith. God, I don't see anything budging, but I believe your will is beyond this mountain. And I'm shouting grace. Though nothing visible changes, I'm still shouting grace. Shouting grace. Tina and I pray together most mornings. And generally part of our prayer is praying for our friends who are suffering. And I don't know what it is, but our list is getting longer and longer and longer. I have a friend who's right now battling with his life in cancer. I was away at the Lions weekend last weekend and a young lady who is very involved in the whole Lions process just been diagnosed with breast cancer and it's at such a late stage she needs a miracle. I have a number of people who are going through very difficult circumstances and what I do, I see this mountain and say, I see what you're like. That is true, but here's the truth. That may be true medically, but the truth is I still believe in God, my healer. And I'm still going to shout grace, ability to do what I cannot do naturally. Grace, grace, saving grace, streaming grace. Lord, I want to shout shouts of faith, shouts of praise. Oh, I don't want to digress here, but if you ever read the Paul and Silas at midnight thing when they're in jail? I'm sorry, I have to be honest with you, I'm not the singing type. If I've been going through, I don't, you know, I know there's such a thing as man flu and, you know, it's medically proven, we get it worse than everyone else. But, uh, there's a, I have a witness in the house, it's just that, you know, and I'm a terrible patient and I, when I'm feeling pain, I'm dying. My mother died of a heart attack at 57. On my 57th birthday, I had chest pains. And I said, I got chest pains, Tina. She just laughed. <laughs> Can I have a bit of sympathy? I got chest pains. She just laughed. She's done. This is silly. She was so right, but there was no... Lord, you know how it is. And sometimes when the, the, there's nothing visibly happening, we still need to praise him. Yeah. Yeah. Say, God, I don't understand this. I don't like it. I'm not enjoying it. 
but I'm glad you're still on the throne. Still on the throne. Shouts of faith, shouts of praise, shouts of joy. Shouts of joy. This is not in the text, so don't stone me. But I wonder how it was when Zechariah told Zerubbabel these words. I wonder if he said to him, what do you think? What do you think? Oh, Zechariah, great word. I'll get the tape. (laughs) You know, that is just an incredible word. Yeah, but what do you think? I am so encouraged. (laughs) I am so encouraged. Yeah, but what are you going to do? I'm going to go home and think about that. I'm going to meditate on it. I might even listen to it again online because it's a good word. No. Zerubbabel, God said shout. Yeah, but that's probably the Hebrew text. (laughs) It probably doesn't mean literally Zerubbabel. This is how we argue. We go, well, I'm a little embarrassed. Can I go home and shout? (laughs) Sometimes that's not the case. God says, I want you to shout. I want you to shout.